if you want to start doing anything in the trading space, you need to come up with the idea and bring on the talent and everything else is just a subscription away on the platform. So really build an ecosystem for the next generation of traders. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Today I have Ron Naruzzi from TradeLogix. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So the first question I would like to ask you is, what problem does your SaaS product solve? It's a myriad of problems that, that we're solving. So I would say that we remove all the technical or most of the technical barriers of, out of people's way when they look into uh, generate a trading strategy that trades automatically on stock market exchanges or crypto, forex, whatever it may be. So that's what we're aiming to do. Who is your customer? Who is buying your product? So our main target customer right now is, uh, we call them the prosumers. It's kind of an in-between market of the relatively smaller professional traders, fund managers, investment advisors, and kind of the, the top of the tier of retail traders, people who trade for a living using their own money. That's kind of our in between, uh, with uh, hopefully expanding into more pros, more retail as a, kind of a middle out expansion. That's awesome. It's kind of like an API, the product per se, right? That, so the, the prosumer is going to buy, but he's still going to have a developer that's going to come and put the final pieces together to make their trades. Is that correct? Yes. So um, if, if I'll kind of give you a quick overview of, uh, of exactly what it is that we're doing. So what we decided to do, we decided to create a cloud infrastructure and software for trading, for automated trading operations. So the problem that, that we're solving, I think the best way to do it is using an analogy, like imagine building a, a food blog with uh, no WordPress, Wix, uh, web, any of that. So aside from knowing how to cook, You'll also need to know how to design code, set up the server, get the domain, setting everything up. Uh, whereas with the existing tools, like uh, the ones that I mentioned, like uh, Webflow, Wix, etc., you just focus on generating the content and uh, they abstract all the tech stuff out of the way. So that's kind of the same, I guess, the same idea that we would like to bring into trading because you can have a very simple trading idea. Uh, like, I don't know, I want to buy... Tesla whenever Elon Musk tweets about it or whatever it is. So it's a very simple idea, but now you had to uh, listen to incoming feeds and monitor uh, transactions and connect to your brokers and write to their API. And, and there, there's a lot of data science databases. There's a lot of stuff that uh, goes on after you had your billion dollar idea. So that we're trying to move that out of the way. So yeah, you still need to code, but you're, you're coding about two to 5% of what you used to have to code uh, pre-trade logics. That's awesome. That's a great product. And what's your background? Like, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and how you arrive at that idea. So, uh, yeah, I'm pushing 50 soon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 
Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I was born in 1974. So I've been starting, uh, didn't, um, you know, playing around with computers in the um, early 80s when I was just a kid. Uh, always loved it. Kind of when I, you know, grew up, uh, I had my one foot in the internet marketing advertising space and the other one in uh, software development. And for a long period, uh, for a long while, I was uh, working at the EdTech space, kind of building exchanges for online media and, and, and all that. About 10 years ago, I kind of switched my focus to financial markets because I like the idea of theoretically don't, you know, not having a boss and scaling just by changing a figure in my software. Instead of uh, investing a thousand dollars, I'm now going to invest uh, a million, whatever it is. I liked it as a concept, but yeah. So my, I would say that if I look at the past 10 years, heavily involved in software development for a gazillion of years now and in the financial industry for about 10 years now. So that's, that's kind of, uh, kind of where I'm at. I have no temperament at all for doing any sort of manual trading. So I just can't, cannot look at charts all day and, uh, see a trade goes against me or anything. So I need everything to be automated. I'm a, I'm a computer guy. Uh, that's what I love to do. That's what I'm, uh, I'm most into. So. That's how I kind of, uh, that, that's kind of my background. And that's actually funny, you know, if I kind of uh, digress a little bit, when I, when I first started doing that, you know, I wanted to have software that I understand exactly how we work. So I developed my own tools and released them kind of as open, open source libraries. And it kind of took on fire. One of my libraries right now has about 600 uh, installs every month. Uh, it's called the Y Finance uh, Data li Library. Uh, it's a Python library for uh, for downloading, you know, financial information from from Yahoo, and that kind of also got me exposed to other people in this industry that are facing the same difficulties. You know, you work a lot, and there's a lot of effort that goes into into trying to come up with a strategy. And let's face it, most of your ideas would fail. Uh, otherwise, if it was so easy, then everybody would be a billionaire. But, uh, you know, you need to work like two or three months with the testing and, uh, you know, market hypothesis and research and all that stuff just to realize, oh, you know what, that, that idea is not, it's not really <laughs> worthwhile. So at least I wanted to create a, a software that uh, will allow you to vet ideas quickly, you know, just for the sake of, of saving time. Before we go to build it, how much money did you raise so far? Is that public information? Yeah, I think it's it's out there. We raised about two and a half million dollars in total nice. so far. And walk me through the process of designing and building kind of like the first version of your product. Yeah, so the first version was API only, no UI, uh, common line interface. You had to set up an account and everything would just happen on the common line on the terminal. So it was uh, the initial early adopters were very technical people, extremely technical people that are, you know, comfortable with this black screen on, on their monitor. And who built that first version? Did you build that by yourself still, or do you have a team helping you? So the first version was a small team of myself and two developers uh, were still with me to this day. And that was the first, uh, the first version that we've released. A later stage we've, at the first web version, let's call it the first version that actually had a user inter interface, we were already a small team uh, of about eight or 10 people from uh, Israel, London, 
Ukraine, uh, Paris. So it was kind of all all over the place. We're a fully remote, remote company. After that, the, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, war started, so it kind of uh, shuffled the cards a bit. But yeah, the, the core team is still there, and we're and keep on working on, and adding more capabilities and uh, um, improving the, the speed of the platform and yeah, its robustness, etc. That's cool. So you start building a development team in the Ukraine, yeah. and then the whole thing happens. So how long did it take then to get the first version of your product done and to get like the first users got the end? I would say to get to the first kind of command line interface only version was probably about six to eight months. But to get like the fully working version, uh, like the, the, the version one of the of the product, which is never your full vision is just the testing, uh, testing the water versions. It took about a year and a half. And we're right now we're almost three years. And with, with the delays that, that uh, the war ca uh, caused, we are, uh, we're going to be releasing in the, in the upcoming weeks. Finally, the, the final version. We've been kind of doing a very, very long, soft launch working with directly uh, with the uh, with customers and uh, doing you know handholding type of uh, of onboarding and testing and releasing one small feature after another after another it's just because you know it is a financial application you are trading you're connecting to your brokers you're making financial decisions it needs to work 100% of the time exactly as you expect it to work and uh, <laughs> we don't want to So we, we had two challenges. One is obviously the technical stuff. We need to make sure that it works as well as brokerage application or a banking application needs to work in terms of reliability. But on the other hand, we needed to uh, work. And here uh, we have a great uh, UX designer from uh, Ghana in Africa that works with us in order to make sure that the, the platform is as self-explanatory as possible. And that's kind of where we put a lot of the effort into making videos and uh, rewriting the docs and kind of generating a boatload of content and uh, really specific type of onboarding in order to be able to facilitate a larger user flow. That makes sense. You don't want to make mistakes, like make the wrong trade, buy the wrong stock or... or and you want to have a very good user interface. So how do you, how was the process? Like, how did you find the first uh, beta users and walk into the process? Because I, I imagine you kept bringing users to the, your soft beta. How, how did that work? Again, I was extremely fortunate in, in that regard. I've created the website. I've kind of tweeted about it. I uh, wrote it uh, in, my, in my blog, which I haven't updated in, since then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that okay this is this is my idea this is what i want to do this is what we started working on and here's the link to a waitlist if you're interested and people started registering just signing up for the waitlist and filling out a survey post registration and giving us some information that we can learn about their needs and and what it is that that, that they want and we got to a few thousands of people in a matter of few weeks and ever since then it kind of uh, grows more Obviously, slow, slowly that uh, because we, we there's no we, we never did any sort of advertising or anything like that. We the only type of advertising that we did was buying the word trade logics on Google AdWords when you for when you specifically search our uh, name. So it's kind of a, a brand protection. 
So it's not really advertising. But yes, right now we have close to 20,000 people on the wait list. I guess that many of them are people that, you know, use my uh, open source libraries uh, was kind of a, a way to, to get to, to those to people in that, in that niche, in the category. So again, I was very fortunate in, in the, in the, in the sense that didn't work too hard on, on, on getting, uh, that initial interest. That's very amazing. So basically, it's kind of like the payoff of your work that you did before when you're building right, open source yeah. products, when you're building your LinkedIn and your Twitter and your blog. So you already kind of have an audience and you put something in front of them that they want. And that got you like 20,000 people in the wait list. That's, that's amazing. That's impressive. And, and also that tells people... Hopefully we'll, we'll, conver- we'll convert 10% of them <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but also shows like how valuable it is to build in public and to build an audience, right? To to do something. I mean, as a developer myself too, sometimes we code just for fun. And I think that's probably most of the time what you were doing, you're open source. Exactly. But you can see the results of, of, of doing that in public, you know. And then, so how you decide then who is going to be the customers that's going to be... Part- Plus we rely so much on open source technologies these days, it would seem unfair not to contribute to that ecosystem. Yeah, it, for sure. It's And also, you become a much better developer when you know people are going to see your code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and how did you figure out, did you decide who you do bring as a beta tester? Did you have any, based on the questions, how how you decide who would come in and, and test the software? Yeah, so it was based on the, uh, on, uh, the survey that they've uh, filled. We had a cap that we don't want uh, more than sort of 500-ish beta testers on the platform. And that's what we, what we got. They've rotated. Uh, You know, we had, (laughs) we had version that didn't work so well and kind of people got uh, frustrated. (laughs) Say, you know what? Let me know when you have uh, the final version out. Uh, We had other people that know that are using the, the the platform on an ongoing basis uh and we learned a lot from from their how they're using the platform and where and where are the contact points that they reach out f- to us for help uh so kind of like, okay this is uh, ne- we need some more uh user experience uh improvements in that area or more docs or whatever so that's kind of uh that's kind of the way that we've done that we, we wanted Obviously, the first batch was really adventurous people and, and highly technical. I, I remember, again, there was no UI or anything like that, but now it's, it's a completely different ballgame. And um, yeah, so people are, that, that are using the platform now are kind of mostly are using it without any of our help, which means that we're getting very close to being able to release it to the public. Yeah. I like that strategy. So you have different batches. Bring a batch in, make sure people like it, don't hate it. Bring the second batch and keep adding batches. And then if the person from the first batch are staying, that's a good sign. And and you are trying to figure out, so it looks like the metrics that you're looking. Or if they come back at the later batch and say, okay, it wasn't ready for me or it was too technical or I didn't get it or it wasn't working, but they still believe in the product to come back in batch five or six, that's also a good sign. And what else are you looking at? Like you you told me you were asking, looking at questions they're asking you, but do you have any other metric? Like, for example, on my own SaaS, I'm building a SaaS, I'm in the same stage, I'm the beta stage, and I'm looking at how many weeks in the row they're actually coming back to the software. 
And if someone is coming eight, nine, ten weeks back to the software, it's great. And when people drop, I'm like, what can we do to keep adding value for these yeah. people? So what metrics, for example, you, you were looking at to make sure like that you're going the right direction? So obviously we started with the initial questionnaire, like what's your trading volume? What's your trading style? What, uh, which brokers are you working with? What language uh, are you programming in? So we started with those basic questions to even know who, who is the potential uh, beta tester for us. You know, once they were in the metrics that we um, kind of looking is how many times, um, I mean, how many times they go into the platform is not really as important uh, because there's a lot of stuff that you can do without actually doing anything. So if you have a, a running trading strategy, so strategy runs, uh, you are not coming back to the platform, but you are using uh, the service, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it really, the, the way that we've looked at it is how many actions are you making with the platform, either passively using an existing, by an existing running strategy or with you actually going into uh, executing an API call, logging into the platform and, and all that stuff. And we wanted to, uh, to really learn how many active, what's your trading activity? Like how many orders are you submitting? Are you mostly backtesting research or live trading? Are you more into uh, crypto, more into uh, uh, equities? So what we kind of learn where we need to put our emphasis because when we're adding a new brokerage connection, should we add uh, another equities broker or another crypto broker, another Forex broker? Where's more demand? So right now, I'm happy to say that with the markets that we're, uh, for example, the market that we're currently supporting, which is equities, crypto, and Forex, we've kind of reached sort of an equilibrium where we we don't get a, a, any more requests and, hey, please add that broker or that exchange. So yeah, obviously we will get once we expand to non-US markets and futures. And so well, the new, a, a new host of uh, brokers uh, will need to be added. But for the market that we currently supported, we've kind of stopped uh, getting requests for, uh, for new connections, which is, which is good. And is your beta customers paying you any money? Uh, some of them, yeah. Uh, about, I would say about, 20, 25% of them are paying uh, us. I mean, the very early adopters, adopters are, are not paying. They were, you know, literally guinea pigs. But as we kind of moved along into something that say, okay, this is still not the full vision of a product, but it's a usable product. It's, it gives you enough value that you should be paying for it. Uh, so yeah, that some of them are, are paying. That's cool. I think that's again go back to the stages that you should run into your beta. Yeah. Right? As as you start to getting money, it's like it's a one final validation that you can do. And and I think again it makes a lot of sense. It was very important. Even by the way, even the ones that are not paying, most of them and most of the best they they didn't know that they're not going to pay until they uh, complete the uh, completed the sign up. Because there was a credit card, there was a sign up, they had to choose the plan, they had to do all of that stuff. Because we oh. were just testing the willingness. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be free for you as an early adopter. What we wanted to make sure that they actually put in their, their payment information. That's awesome. So what's kind of like the first oh shit moment that comes to mind from your journey building your SaaS? Putin. <laughs> that was, was an ongoing ocean moment. Yeah. The ocean moment was really understanding that uh, the first time that 
we've rushed into creating a release to um, conference that we attended, uh, which is almost a year, a year ago now. And we weren't able, just because everything started with, with Russia and everything, we weren't able to get the version that we wanted to that, to that conference. So we had to, uh, at that point, with everything that's, that, goes, uh, that was going on, to just say, you know what, Let's, we know exactly, now we know what we need to do. And we know what's working, what's not. And we literally rewrote everything from scratch based on what we've learned. Uh, I, I knew that this moment was going to happen at some point. So there's always that, you know, your, your MVP sets. It's always a disposable <laughs> code base <laughs> because it, it's not built for scale or it's not built for what customers actually need. But once you kind of figure this out, and now it's time to really go and do it better. Uh, you know, version two of products is often better than version one. <laughs> Unless it's a Skype. Unless it's <laughs> Skype. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but this is still a very hard decision to make to like, okay, we're going to start over. Yeah. How was coming to the decision? Well, you know, we started with, with a very small idea. Well, not a small idea, but with a very small implementation of the idea and just adding more of our vision onto it. We started getting, we started hitting kind of the limitations of what this code base can do for us uh, in terms of uh, speed, in terms of architecture, in terms of uh, versatility. So we decided to kind of go back to the drawing board, knowing what we know, you know, we, we have the scars to, uh, to show, uh, uh, to show for it and, uh, just go and re and, and redo it and, and do it, uh, right this time. And uh, I'm happy to say that, that we're done. And right, right now, most of our focus is with the, you know, with the onboarding and the UX kind of, uh, kind of stuff. That's a lot of testing about the UX. We don't have the bandwidth to let 20,000 people in and be there for 24-7 customer support. So we need to make sure that the product is as self-explanatory as possible uh, with <laughs> a lot of resources in terms of, uh, you know, with small stuff like a, a tiny, uh, you know, a 30 second, one minute video that explains pretty much anything that's uh, everything that goes on in, in the app that you can trigger and you know, with a mouse click anywhere inside the application. Oh, oh, what's that? Boom, a quick video that shows you how to use that. So that's that's a lot of <laughs> a lot of where our efforts are focused right now. It makes sense. Making user friendly is pretty hard. People don't realize how much work goes into building something. Hoping people want to click that button, and they don't click it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, let's let's re revise this." So let's get a little bit more nerdy. Tell me about like the technology behind building this. You are a Python developer yourself. What was the structure when you guys decide to build the second version to scale? What are the decisions that you made about the architecture? Well, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, my Python developer, most of my trading stuff is in Python because it's kind of, uh, the go-to language for trading applications. But I've been programming for 35, 36 years. So I've, I've, I've been through most programming languages by now. And our platform indeed kind of works the same way. So we try to use the best, the best tool for the job that we're trying uh, to do. So we have, I'll give you an example. We have several different components of the platform. Let's just look at 
three, four of them. Okay. So we have a data streaming engine that gets data from the, from the exchanges and delivers it to, and process it, um, you know, cleans it in real time, both puts it in the database and distributes it to, to customers. So here in that example, we needed speed. We don't need an HFT firm type of, of speed, but we do need the speed. So this module is written in, in the compiled languages and it runs uh, as, as machine code on, on its own infrastructure. Other stuff where we don't need as much, uh, we don't need uh, the speed as much. Like, for example, the locally running uh, backtest. Uh, you would really, you wouldn't really mind if it takes plus minus 20 seconds more to complete your uh, back testing for your, for your training strategy. So for the sake of code readability and portability, we're using Python there as the main core engine of, of the back tester. The web application uh, mostly is written in, uh, in JavaScript and Node. So yeah, it's a, it's a mix and match of, of different technologies that again really fits the, the job that, that we're trying to do. That makes total sense. Instead of like, trying to go like with one technology. Exactly. The, the DevOps was uh, the, the most challenging thing here because we're running VMs for every customers. And uh, so that was kind of, uh, obviously we're heavily, uh, using heavily Kubernetes and, and um, Docker uh, images uh, for different uh, programming languages uh, runtime. And yeah, you know, we have data centers across, right now it's about 12 different data centers. Yeah. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. It, it's it's a geek cool. uh, dream thanks, come thanks. true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I I, I know most of our listeners are going to be like, okay, go back to the business part. <laughs> but I, I like to learn. <laughs> uh, and t- tell me a little bit about like a very smart decision that you made in the early days of running your company. Oh wow, very smart decision to actually go and execute on the idea. I don't know. I I don't have. Like um, the, the best decision that I've made was to hire the team that, that, uh, works for me, uh, f- from day one, because the way that it started, I need to get something up and running quickly. So I've, uh, hooked up with, uh, an HR type of, uh, placement firm in the Ukraine and got me, uh, two developers that I started working with. Uh, I would say probably that one of the best decisions that I've made was make sure that these, guys become an integral part of the company and no longer as a, you know, as a second tier or second level, whatever you want to call it, uh, freelancers. So I've kind of had to work out a deal with the, with the contractor to let them go and work directly for the company. And, uh, that, that was probably a great decision. Yeah. That, that makes a total, total sense. And also, you being technical yourself, being willing to go and hire developers so early on, it's a good decision. Sometimes technical founders, they spend too much time. No, I can do it. I can do it. I can do everything and don't bring extra. Oh, help. I can do so it. It's just a matter of uh, how <laughs> fast can I do it and how well I can do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyone can do anything. You just need to factor in time and, and energy and, and uh, you know, alternatives. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is definitely a smart decision, but it is a, a harder decision to make when you're technical yeah. because you always have the mentality, I, I'm just going to do this. Uh, and how about like a, a very bad decision that you made, a mistake? A very bad decision that I've made. Oh, you're kind of uh, catching me uh, off guard here with both the good decision and the bad decision. I would say that I would probably should have, 
I probably should have released earlier, quicker, but and with a lot less features and start to get more kind of attraction uh, to be more um, round A ready type of type of thing. But uh, it, I don't know if it's a bad decision, but I can see the point. I can see the merits in in doing that rather than taking my time and making sure that the product is perfect before actually releasing it. So I'm, I'm taking a lot, a lot of time to really make sure that everything is perfect, which in a business sense may not be the smartest choice. Uh, sometimes you just need to ship it. I don't know, time will tell. Yeah, it's definitely a hard balance, right? Because especially, I think to the advice, people say go fast. The problem is, that's kind of like a 10 years old device and software today is too good. Building software today is too easy. And especially in the financial space, what if you have a big mistake? But, the, but it's still a balance because you don't want to build forever. You want to take the product right. markets. But, but finding that sweet spot is so hard. And, and I think most founders do too late. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's because... We, we, it, because it's so hard to find that sweet spot. I, I agree. I think I think that we're also on the too late scale, but I'm I'm, I'm betting uh, on it being worth it. Because here's here's the thing: we, the, what we're trying to build with Trade Logics, yeah, we could have released soon with only that set of features, but only that set of features. But it just wouldn't make sense if you don't get the whole package. You know, always go back to to uh, an example where. You know, go back 15 years and ask the public to imagine what's the, uh, the dream phone might be. Nobody asked for an iPhone. Nobody asked for an iPhone until they actually saw it because it got you. Okay. Here's a package. Here's a browser. Here's a media player. Here's email with a, a great screen for that time. And, and here you go. And, and then when you saw it, it was, Oh, I, I definitely want that. But if it, they would have just released a phone with a music player, that wouldn't work. If they just released a cooler, more Apple version of a Blackberry, I don't know if it, it would have worked. It needed to be perfect for what that, uh, uh, what was possible at the time. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. It doesn't, it won't make sense if we'll only come out with a back test version of the product or only with market data or, and kind of build on that because with, there's a solution right now that does backtesting. There's a solution right now that does market data. There's a solution, but there's no ecosystem that kind of brings you everything and have it work together and seamlessly, you know, with the different components. So we, we need on that regard, we need to make sure that we deliver the full package or at least 90% of it. <laughs> it makes total sense. So if you could go back in time and meet yourself from three years ago, what would you tell yourself? What would I tell myself? I would probably tell myself to not try to uh, move to a different country, hire a fully remote team in a, uh, in a shaky area in the midst of COVID all at the same time, kind of take my time with, uh, with different hits and blows. And I would definitely, as much as I love them, if I would have started over again, I would probably, knowing what I know, knowing that there's going to be a war, I would probably not <laughs> more hire uh, people from Ukraine. And that, that's not because they're not great. I love them to death. It's just, you know, no, would, would I, uh, I've known what I know now that there's going to be like a massive war there. I would probably go with an easier route and just 
you know, chose elsewhere. That's a very honest answer. Thank you. <laughs> and it's for, definitely will make you go faster. Yeah. So thank you very much for sharing the story of your company. I have two final questions. First one, it's how is the company doing today? Like whatever you can share about size and how does the future look like? Like your vision for the future. Okay. So in terms of how the company is doing today, as I mentioned, we went back from about uh, 15 people that we were at, at some point back to around five. And we're not going to do any further expansion in the, uh, in the personnel until the, the product is out there. So right now we have uh, the developers, we have the UX, we have uh, the um, business development guy, and that's kind of where we're, where we're keeping it as small as lean as much as possible. So we kind of went back into a, a bootstrap mindset until we were able to release the product, even though, you know, uh, the, the company was fun- is, is funded and everything. We kind of went back uh, to that uh, mode of operation in order to stretch the burn rate, uh, the run rate as much as possible. In terms of our vision, so yeah, I would I would say that the vision was and still is to create a platform that will really make it simple on a technical level. Coming up with a good trading idea, that's on you. Uh, but on a technical level, really would make it simple, almost barrierless transition into that world from a technical standpoint. So if you have an idea for a strategy or if you have a good you know, hypothesis for something, I want you to be able to use TradeLogix to do your research, to do your uh, testing, to do your live trading, your risk analysis, uh, your marketing, if you're a fund uh, and, and kind of get people to your fund from uh, uh, using a real live you know, the tiership report that, that, that is always alive and always updating. So that, that's kind of uh, uh, the vision. Uh, we've working on a marketplace that will allow you to integrate not only software tools, but services. Uh, so like an auditing service for your fund as a subscription from the application and, and, you know, stuff like that. Really in to get to a point where if you want to start doing anything in the trading space, you need to come up with the idea and bring on the talent and everything else is just a subscription away on the platform. So really build an ecosystem for the next generation of traders. That's an amazing vision. And what book do you recommend for every founder? For every founder? Actually, it's the shortest book that I've had. It's called The Great CEO Within. It's the shortest book that I've read in this uh, in this space, I can't remember who that who wrote it. So the great CEO within it's by Matt Mockery. So yeah, I would really recommend it. It's very short. It's even free on, on as a as a Google Doc. A lot of lots of insights uh, there. If people want to follow you, where they can follow and can hear more about you? Just tradeologics.com, tradeologics on Twitter or. Uh, uh, Arusi can find me on Twitter as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time for coming on the show. Congrats on your company. Thank you very much. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. 
Thanks for listening. And remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.